Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Revenue Builders. I'm John Kaplan, and I'm joined with my great friend, five-time CRO, and author of the best-selling book, The Qualified Sales Leader, John McMahon. Johnny, how are you? Yeah, I am. I'm super excited about our special guest today. Such an incredible person. So I'm jacked up. Yeah, me, to- yeah me too, brother. I, uh, I, I'd love to introduce the audience to uh, Emmanuel Manny Ohome. And uh, Manny's achieved national and international recognition as a philanthropist, businessman, and author. He's the founder and president of Samaritan's Feet International, founder and president of Barefoot Legacies Group, acclaimed author of Soul Purpose and sought-after inspiring speaker and storyteller. Manny was born in Lagos, Nigeria. When he was nine years old, his life was changed by a pair of shoes, and I can't wait for uh, everybody in the audience to hear this incredible story. So how he came to the United States, received a basketball scholarship, went on to an incredible uh, career in logistics. And, and again, Manny's going to share that story with us. But he built a very successful uh, personal and business life in the United States. Uh, but the power of purpose began to pound in his heart. And amazingly, in 2003, Manny and his wife, Tracy, walked away from corporate America and founded Samaritan's Feet International, a nonprofit 501c3 organization, which we're going to talk a lot about, with the purpose of sharing hope with those in need by washing their feet, giving them a new pair of shoes and helping them to achieve uh, helping them to believe that dreams can come true. He's been a guest speaker and presented inspirational messages around the world. He's spoken before presidents of countries, governors of states, CEOs of corporations, mega churches, religious and educational conferences, as well as professional athletic associations. I was fortunate enough to meet Manny back in 2003, uh, just as he began his abrupt transition from corporate America. And I consider him a very, very dear friend ever since. Johnny, I'm really excited today to introduce you and our listeners to my dear friend, Manny Ohome. Hey, Manny, I'm honored to have you join us. And, um, you know, you're a selfless leader. And the world would definitely be a better place if there were a lot more Mannies around. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Johnny. Thank you, man. Kathy, it's good to have you two on this line, man. The smile, the joy, uh, just all that you guys represent just embodies the power of what it truly means to be a revenue builder. I'm excited. (laughs) That's awesome. That's (laughs) awesome. Hey, brother, your story is is an awesome one. It's a complex one. Why don't we just start from the beginning? Take us to Nigeria. It's a story you've told probably thousands of times, uh, but I'd love to ground our listeners 
into where it all began because I think it provides a a great baseline for really who you are. So would you mind kind of taking us back to Lagos? Man, it's uh, thank you so much, uh, you know, John. I think, uh, you know, it's crazy, you know, growing up in, in the western part of Africa and Lagos, one of the most populous city uh, in the entire African continent. I think uh, I just actually got back in, in the country just uh, uh, a couple of days ago from from uh, from the motherland itself. But 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 my city has over 20 something million people um, in, in that city. To put it in context, you, you've got, you know, this densely populated people uh, that lives. Some of them on still some of them like this slumdog millionaire type style habitation. Uh, some of them in this upper high class high rises. But I grew up on the other side of the neighborhood. Uh, and uh, I used to wake up every day and, and pray simple prayer, John. I used to say, God, give me zero, zero, one. Uh, that means it's okay if I don't have breakfast. It's okay if you don't give me lunch, but at least God give me supper so I can make it to the next day. And I know the listeners are probably going to hear my voice. Those that have seen my picture will say, man, there's not a chance. This brother's missed a meal in his entire <laughs> life. You know? But the reality of my life was such that at the age of nine, uh, my job and my responsibility, if you ever watched Discovery Channel and seen those kids, they used to carry baskets on their heads. You know, that used to be me. I used to be that kid that used to go sell water and soft drinks at parks. So athletes they used to come by my house and get hydrated. Uh, I showed up at a day at the park in Lagos, Nigeria to go sell water and soft drinks. And I didn't realize that day I was about to have a date with destiny. Uh, I put my basket of water down uh, to sell soft drinks and water. And, and, and in my neighborhood that day, there was this group from America. Uh, they brought this little orange balls. I uh, say, in my neighborhood, everything that's round and bounce, we kick them. You know, this one, they call them basketball, man. They were dribbling the ball and, and passing the ball and having a bunch of fun. And, and, and I showed up that day to, to kind of sell some suffering, but they were having so much fun. So I, I tried to sneak in and join them. Uh, but because I was a street merchant, I was a kid that they knew as a kid that sold what we call minerals, which is like soft drinks, they call it in Lagos. Uh, they didn't want me to be a part of that that day. Uh, so as I was about to join them, they shoot me away to go ahead and sell my water. And I felt so disappointed, uh, rejected, and it felt so hopeless. So I stood at that line watching all these kids having fun. And how Providence will have it, one of those balls rolled around the corner by where I was standing. And quickly, I grabbed it and I snuck in and joined those kids. See, uh, it's so funny. We used to sing this song in Nigeria. Like We used to sit man, and every time this song would sing Jay Mack, everybody would start dancing. We used to say, if Jesus says yes, nobody can say no, because there's <laughs> nobody that can take the joy and the purpose for which God has created you. And that day I stood on that, on that line, and, and as I snuck in and started dribbling the ball and passing the ball with his kids, all of a sudden, in the middle of this craziness, this gentleman called Dave from Wisconsin said, we're going to have a shooting competition. And he said, the price for the winner is going to be a new pair of shoes. Mm. And that place went nuts. I mean, you've got to realize in my neighborhood, a pair of tennis shoes like a Mercedes Benz. So when they said, who wants to compete for a pair, for a pair of pair of tennis shoes? Every kid started screaming, pick me, pick me, pick me. And I was one of the few kids that got picked that day. I never played basketball in my life, but I shot the ball. And I truly believe Angels was working overtime because that shot went in. And I knew that wasn't me. That was a force that was much bigger than me. I ended up winning the competition. Becoming the first person, not just my family, but my entire community owned a pair of tennis shoes. It was so crazy. 
And uh, and after I finished winning this stuff, this gentleman did call me to the front and he presented me this brand new pair of shoes. And you could have seen the smile on my face, you know, just expanded by the size of Texas, man. I was so elated. And I said, give me the pair of shoes that was about to take off. And this guy grabbed me by my shoulder. And he said, son, just because all you see around you is poverty doesn't mean the God of the universe has forgotten about you. He said, keep dreaming and keep dreaming big. After I finished speaking, I took off. I ran so fast, I forgot my basket of soft drinks and water until I showed up at home. And mama looked at me and said, son, where's my water? I said, mama, check out my shoes. And then she was so happy for me. About two, three minutes later, he said, son, you better go bring my water back. Listen, now you better meet, have a day with Jesus. And after she said that, I, actually, I took off, started running. I said, God, that basket better be there. I asked tonight, I better have a date with God himself. You know, I got there. Thank goodness the stuff was there. I brought the stuff back home. But that became a defining moment in my life because I became not just a person, my first person in my family, but my entire community to own a pair of tennis shoes. So basketball became my escape. Because my home life was somewhat difficult because when you live with somebody that has addictive personality to struggle with alcohol and struggle with a bunch of other things, uh, it's the person that is closest to them as the one that hurt the most. So, so all I ever heard from my father in those days when my father would get drunk and high, he would beat up on me and call me a bunch of mean and evil stuff. And it's so amazing. My mom was one of the greatest role models in my life. And every time he would say all this mean and evil stuff, my mom would come behind him and put our hands on my hand. And she was saying the name of us above every other name, man. Whatever mean and evil stuff that this man says to my son will never come to pass. Because my God has promised me that my son could do all things through him who gives him strength. And sometimes I'll go to my mom and say, Mom, why, why do we then have to live so poor? Why do we have to live like this? And, and my mom was such a woman filled with wisdom. And she'll say to me, son, I want you to come over here. And she'll point to this little window by my house. I said, son, I want to look outside and tell me what you see. And then I'll look outside. I said, mom, I see trees. And, and she said, no, no, son, I want you to look much higher and tell me what you see. And I'll look outside. I said, mom, I'll ramble. I said, mom, I see birds. I said, son, you're not looking high enough. Look much higher and tell me what you see. And I said, mom, I see the stars. And I see, actually, I see the clouds. And did you ever wonder why God created the sky so hard? She always asked. And I said, I don't know, mama. And she said, so poor boys like you can dream uh, real high. He said, never make excuse for life. Just because today may be a crappy day doesn't mean tomorrow ain't going to be a great day. But as long as my God is on the throne, you can do all things through him who gives you strength. So I started believing the stuff my mama said. I started playing basketball and started getting better at it. And then one day at the end, actually, uh, through my middle school, my high school, and I finally, after my junior year, I got the chance to go approach my coach. And I said, coach, man, I've been working hard. I've been playing basketball, man. I think one day I'd like to go to America to go to basketball, to go play basketball. And then he looked at me and he laughed. He said, <laughs> he said, Manny, you know, he didn't call me Manny. He actually called me my Nigerian name. He said, talk with He said, you know, you know, fast enough, you know, big enough, you know, good enough. He was one of the greatest encouragers I've ever met. He said, he said, what makes you think you can get a scholarship in America? I said, I just believe that I can do this. I've been working so hard. He said, man, you got some balls. You got to realize coming from the guy like this, he was a coach of Akeem Olajuwon. I'm this 6'4 guy. And you got to realize most of the people that his coach is about 6'10, 6'11, 7-footer. And he said, man, I just don't know if this is going to work for you. So I said, that's okay. All I need is just a shot. He said, the fact that you even came and approached me about this request means, you know, like I, at least I have to give you an opportunity. 
Because I don't think everybody is going to actually give you a scholarship, but I'm willing to try. So he gave me some names of schools. So I wrote some letters. <laughs> so he said, if anybody responds to you, then I'll write you a letter of reference. Man, my brother never wrote me a letter of reference, you know, because, <laughs> you know, but I ended up getting five scholarship offers. I didn't know much about this country, man. And, uh, but it was pretty amazing. So I said, well, I'll do what every Nigerian kid will do. I put all those letters on my table and I said, I'll pick this school with the best looking brochure. Guess what school I picked, John? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorite parts of your story, brother. Yeah. Tell, them, tell the audience where you it, picked. It's crazy. You won't believe where I picked. I picked the University of North Dakota in Lake Region, man. I, I said, holy smokes, until I showed up in North Dakota. I said, I've done something wrong to God. <laughs> Africa people should not live in North Dakota. But uh, it was so crazy. It was one of the best decisions of my life. But but it's crazy for me to get there. It was such a tough situation because I got the scholarship. I responded to them and, and they said, yeah, we want you to come. And they all the travel documents came and everything. And I went to the embassy. They rejected my visa application. Man, I said, this guy is about to end my life. My biggest opportunity, my biggest moment and flushed down the toilet. And it's so crazy. I went back home and as I, Walked into my house, my mom looked at me, she said, what's wrong? And she said, man, my visa application was rejected. She said, man, I, he said, nobody rejects my son's application. She didn't know nobody, this poor lady knows nobody. But she said, we're gonna pray and we pray. And she said, you know, I have this cousin that works for the military, I'm just gonna go ahead and talk to him. Crazy, we showed up there, John. Uh, this person housed a couple of days later and I shared my story. And she said, they rejected your application? I said, yes. And uh, he wrote me a letter. It's, I, I felt like just like yesterday. And he said, I want to go back to the embassy and give them this letter. And I'm like now concerned. I said, I'm going to go back to the embassy. <laughs> They're going to kick me out of the embassy. Man, they already rejected my application. So I showed up at the embassy. It was crazy to give me a number. And I'm sitting down. Guess who called my number? the same guy that rejected my application. I said, wow. oh no, uh, this is not good. Uh, the guy called me up and uh, I gave him the letter and he read the letter. He said, you want to go to America? I said, yes. I said, this is weird. This guy has been nice to me. I'm not sure where this is going. And all of a sudden he said, you're going to love America. The same guy that rejected my application. And I said, wow. you're going to love America. He said, go sit down. I said, oh, they're about to call the police, man. I'm about to be arrested at the U.S. Embassy. <laughs> but a few minutes later, they called me to the front. The same guy that rejected my application gave me the visa that changed my life. And uh, I got the visa. I went home. I walked all the way from that embassy all the way home. This is like about three-hour walk, man. I'm, I'm, I'm not taking a bus. I'm, I'm going to enjoy this moment. I walked all the way to my house. I showed up at home. Mama looked at my smile on my face. She said, oh, they gave you the visa. But that's where the stuff began. Because now I've got to purchase the ticket. Now I've got to. The ticket's only 700 something dollars. But that 700 something dollars to my parents was like $7 million. Yeah. Um, they sold everything they had. They couldn't even purchase the ticket. We, we borrowed everything we can. We couldn't even come up with $300. And it was so crazy. I said, man. February came, March came, April came, May came, June came. I mean, July, August came. The school thought this guy's not coming. 
crazy stuff. And uh, September came, one of my cousins or somebody that my family knew was able to help and they were able to raise enough money to purchase the ticket. Finally, the day came, I got the chance to fly to America with my, my little bag, two bags that was had nothing in there, my nice linen outfit and jacket. I was ready to go to North Dakota until I landed in North Dakota. I realized, ah. In what month is this? What month is this? Was that, this is like what? an right, end of end of September, beginning of October. In Dakota, <laughs> oh, keep going. I want, in your linen, in your linen clothes, keep going. Getting a little nippy there. Yeah. Well, you know, but, but but before I even get to North Dakota, it was so crazy because uh, I still remember there was an airline that used to be in business those days called Alitalia. I don't know if you remember that that, yeah. that airline. They bought the flight for me. I was on Alitalia. I flew from Lagos to Rome to Chicago here, right? I showed up in Chicago here. Before I got to Chicago here, here's the funny part. Everybody was eating on the plane, but because I had never flown before, I was the first member of my family to get on the plane. I didn't know, I thought everybody was paying for the food. So, so I didn't, I, I'm like, man, I ain't spending no money. I'm going to America, I only got about a few dollars. So I'm like sitting there watching people eat. And, and they'll ask me, they say, what do you want to eat? I said, oh, man, I'm fine, because I thought I was going to have to pay for it until I showed up in Chicago and uh, landed in Chicago. And uh, there was an airline that was still in business then called Northwest Airline. And, yeah. uh, you know, the lady, she said, where are you going, son? I said, I'm going to this place in North Dakota. I showed up the address. She said, you still got a long ways to go. She said, what do you mean long ways? I've been traveling for two days. She said, man, you got two <laughs> options. You say, you either buy a flight from here to Grand Forks, North Dakota, and that's going to cost you $180. I just about died. $180. See, I thought the, the $200 and something, $300 is traveler's check I got was going to last me for two years. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> $180. I said, oh, no. He said, but you got a second chance. He said, you can take Greyhound. But he said, I won't put my enemy on Greyhound. I said, I ain't taking that. Whatever that is, I'm not getting on that bus. And uh, so I said, well, go ahead and buy the ticket. So I bought the ticket, flew to Grand Forks, landed in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And uh, I learned one of my first lessons in America, John. He said, call ahead. You know, I didn't call nobody. Nobody knew I was coming. I showed up in North Dakota. I called my coach's number. Nobody responded. I called and called and called. Nobody picked up the phone. I ended up seeing, remember that movie about with Tom Hanks? I slept at the airport. Yeah, that was me. I slept at Danforth Airport until the next morning. I went to the guy, the security guy said, I'm going to this school, man. He said, Man, it's 90 miles. I said, 90 miles. What is 90 miles? Man, I know about kilometers. He said, What is 90 miles? He said, Man, that's a long way. He said, Well, you got to take something to get there. I said, What is that? He said, Greyhound. I thought, Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> the lady in Chicago that told me about Greyhound, man. I ain't getting on no Greyhound bus. That's the only chance it got here in this neck of the woods, man. I said, Greyhound? He said, yes. I said, okay, I bought the ticket. John, 90 miles took us almost seven hours. They stopped at every single port on town to deliver. I don't know what they were delivering, but all I know is I finally got to Devil's Lake, North Dakota. I got out of the bus and I asked the guy, I said, this is where I'm going. He says, about two miles down the road. I said, I just thought it was two kilometers. He said, that's not bad. I can walk two kilometers. Dude, it was early winter. I was wearing a leaning jacket. I, I, I got it on the stuff, started walking, I'm shivering, man. I said, oh, I'm going to die. 
<laughs> I'm like walking. All of a sudden, this gentleman pulled over next to me. They were coming from church on that Sunday. They looked at me. They said, this brother's not from around here. And said, uh, are you Emmanuel? And that freaked me out. I said, how do you know who I am? He said, well, they wrote an article about you in May that you never showed up. And nobody thought you were coming. But when I saw this little African guy walking down the street, it's got to be Emmanuel because nobody enough to could have looked like this. <laughs> you know, he gave me a ride to my campus. Nobody was there. Everybody was gone for the weekend. And, uh, you know, he said, do you want to go home with me? I said, absolutely. And uh, so he get, brought me home to feed me. And uh, the wife, you know, they set up this table was pretty amazing. I've never seen this much food in my life, man. And uh, but here's the funny thing, J. Mac. I didn't know how to eat this food, man. I'm from Africa. My first meal in America it was like Thanksgiving feast, and and they had this mashed potatoes. They have this gravy. They have this turkey, and they have all this stuff. So I, they have bread. And so I looked at it. Said, I know bread. I know that. And then I saw stuff, and I didn't know what stuff in it. Guess what I did, John? <laughs> I cut the bun up. I put some of the stuffing in the bun. I started eating like a sandwich. And this kid looked at me, tapped his mom on the shoulder, and said, Mommy, this guy is weird. He's eating a stuffing sandwich, man. <laughs> it was the craziest You've come thing. a long way since then, my friend. I know you know all those foods really well now. <laughs> oh, dude, you look at me now, man. I haven't missed a meal ever since that day. <laughs> but this, but this family, amazing. this family, Manny, became really, really instrumental in your life and uh, you're still close with the family today, right? I, it's, I mean, it's amazing. I actually, I did the marriage ceremony for the youngest son that's now almost turning, he's going to turn almost 40 years old coming up here. Oh, wow. wow. And uh, he, he was only about five years old or four and a half years old when I saw him. And, and true story, so it, it is pretty cool. So I got to know this family very well. And, and one day we were actually at their house and and they'll come to all my games. They were like my adopted parents. And uh, and one day there was a show that was on TV called George Jefferson. You know George Jefferson? Sure. Yeah. And uh, so George Jefferson was on, man. And uh, and and you got to realize I'm the only African cat that this family has ever been a, a, associated to. And uh, and uh, it's and and it's funny. Kellen, uh, obviously, he was a young kid at that time. He was five years old. He looked at the TV. He looked at me. He looked at the TV again and looked at me. He said, man, are you black? I said, no kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I shared that story at his wedding. That place just went nuts. You know, it was such a revelation for Kellen that day that this is who this guy is. He never saw me as that. He just saw me. Yes, big brother, man. It was pretty amazing. That family was been so special to me, and uh, till to this day, I still call them mom and dad. And that's and, awesome. and I, you know, I transferred from that school, went on to Concordia. Uh, went before on to you North go, Kansas before State. you go into the, because I really want to get into your incredible what you turned into your education background is just amazing story of dedication, commitment, and resilience. You have to tell the story about sleeping in the boiler room. You got to oh, tell that on, story. <laughs> you got to tell it. <laughs> you know, but, 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 you know, you know, John, you know, uh, after my, my coach finally was contacted and um, they asked to quickly hurry up and set up a bedroom for me at my dormitory. Uh, so, uh, uh, so they did, they set up this room and, and they quickly moved me in. And, but here it was, 
he had this big old window. And outside was this white stuff called snow. And, and every time I saw it, my knee would buckle. I've never seen snow in my life, and I'm freezing. So I said to my coach, I said, man, coach, I, I, I can't stay in this room. I said, I can't, I can't keep looking at the snow. She said, what do you mean? I said, I, I just can't. I said, I said, I've walked in the hallway, and there's a room in the middle of that stuff. It's like a little boiler room. It has no windows. And uh, I, I said, I, I think I can convert that to my bedroom. So they walked me over there, they looked, I said, no, 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 you can't do that. This is like a boiler room again. It's like, a, it's, no, no, no. I said, no, trust me, I, I want this. And so so they I finally got them convinced. They put these two double beds in there. They put it together, it was like a king size bed, man. I, first bed I ever slept on, man. It's like I've died, gone to heaven. And uh, I cranked up the temperature to about 84, 85 degrees in that room. So my coach finally came to visit me. He walked into my room. He ran back out. He said, man, you're going to kill yourself. I like it just like Africa. It's 85 <laughs> degrees in there, man. I love the way it is. <laughs> Nobody bugged me over there, man. It was a special room. But, but it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I got the chance to learn. I got the chance to study. I got the chance to do things. Um, you know, I got the chance to run for homecoming. I, I ended up becoming the first African that became homecoming on campus. Uh, I came back to crown my future bride as homecoming queen. And amazing things happened in my life there. And I was one of the top students in that school. I moved me on to Concordia and uh, I went out there and I went to North Dakota State for my master's. And, and I was one of the top students in my program in the country. And finally, uh, I was selected to actually go to this conference in San Diego, California. I remember landing in San Diego, Jim Mack. I said, man, why, why wasn't this one of my options? You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, man. San Diego was, State University would have been fine. Yeah. yeah, that would have been amazing. That would have been amazing. But it was so cool. Um, you know, they, they had 5,000 of the top CEOs and executives from the logistics supply chain space from around the world at this conference in San Diego. And uh, I showed up there. They profiled you. And there was this brother called Patrick Tien. He was this, you know, he was just a former Oracle guy, was, was starting a software company here in Charlotte. And uh, he approached me. He said, Manny, do you want a job? I said, yes, I want a job. He said, I'd like to fly to Charlotte. I said, where's Charlotte? He said, why are you asking about where's Charlotte? I said, the last time I didn't ask that question, I showed up in North Dakota. I wasn't going to make that decision. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, but but it became one of the best decisions I made because uh, he flew me to Charlotte about a, a few weeks later. Uh, I remember flying into Charlotte Douglas here for Kaplan, and uh, it was 75 degrees in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. At this time, I was living in Fargo, North Dakota. And guess what temperature what it was when I left Fargo? It was 40 below zero. Oh. They offered me the job on the spot. So the guy said, are you going to take the job? I said, well... You know, like I don't make any kind of major decisions like this without, you know, at least deliberating and talking to my wife about it. I was winking on the inside yeah. because I picked up the, a landline on the outside of that office. I called my bride, Tracy. I said, babes, I know you are not afraid about a lot of stuff, but this one, we just go move and trust God to work out the details. You know what I'm saying? On <laughs> <laughs> the temperature <laughs> you know. Now, Manny, you skipped over, though. You skipped over. Your commitment to education, like you got access to education and and you just killed it. Like you, you were, how many degrees did you get? You know, I, I, I've got I've got three associates. I've got uh, about two bachelors. I've got uh, a couple of master's degrees. 
And uh, I've got two uh, honorary PhD degrees now. And uh, but but all that stuff really, to me, was a function of just a quest and pursuit, because I thought, honestly, that I was going to go run the U.N. food program uh, because uh, I knew what it was like to be hungry. Uh, so when and when I when I was finishing my undergrad, the president of my university, actually, I still remember her, you know, because I was I was taking 28 credit hours and, you know, I was taking 25, 26 credit hours. They had to sign my special slip for them to be able to allow me to, you know, but I still, I did very well in them. And I told them I want to go get an international relations, international business degree. And, and there was a school at that time, kind of like the Harvard of, our, of the Midwest there, called Concordia, uh, Concordia College in Minnesota. And it was one of the top, they only, they only accept less than 3,000 uh, total number of students at that school was less than 3,000. There was like people from Norway, Finland, from around the world that came to this school. And uh, they gave me a scholarship full ride. I went there and, uh, and I finished there. Uh, I went on to uh, North Dakota State to go get my master's. I got my master's in applied economics and, uh, and egg economics. And then also my emphasis was on supply chain because I thought I wanted to understand the intricacies of what it takes to make food, market and price food, logistically transport food, so I can actually see, maybe I can help eradicate hunger in our world. Never my wildest dream thinking that God was going to use what was my misery not having shoes into a ministry that will help impact millions of people around the world. Um, you know, it's so crazy what happened. So through that process, right, um, you know, uh, joined this software company that was in supply chain space. I thought, well, this would be another, you know, like little tool in my tool belt to learn about the technology aspect of what it takes uh, to, to efficiently logistically transport things around the world, you know, but, uh, but it turned out to be a pretty amazing thing, you know, like I came in as a product manager, I excelled really well, uh, got this group of, uh, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, investment group out of New York, actually California at that time actually came in and brought a couple of other companies together and, and um, you know, like, uh, uh, the company changed uh, a little bit from what we were used to. So I ended up leaving after uh, uh, a few years when joined my buddy down in New York uh, that was starting uh, this new uh, product line that they wanted to come to launch. At that time, they were actually trying to sell to this uh, uh, company that was actually selling books at that time called Amazon. So they wanted us to uh, create this landed cost engine for them. And, uh, and the deal didn't somewhat go through, but they used me to come in to help them build this new product line out when they're selling this stuff at that time to uh, U.S. Postal Services as part of this landed cost engine and being able to actually, when you people uh, try to purchase something during the boom of the internet, you can actually commit, know what, what transportation options you have, figure out who the denied parties were, and figure out a way to price that stuff right at a click of a button. So pretty amazing stuff. I didn't realize at that time we were at the cusp of something pretty amazing. And fast forward, I was uh, living in Charlotte, uh, flying back and forth to New York. And my wife said, I'm not moving to New York. Uh, so I uh, came back and joined another software company here in Charlotte. And, uh, you know, but it's crazy through all my quest and my pursuit of, uh, of my career, my father got really sick. And, uh, you know, because I always tell people every time I speak, see in life, God always allow us to make our choices, but seldom will it ever allow us to pick our consequences. You know, my father's choice to abuse alcohol caught up to him, and it was darkness the source of the liver. And uh, through that process, my father actually ended up dying. And uh, but, but it was one of the best things that happened to my father because two weeks before he passed away, 
he came to know Christ as his savior, which was another great, amazing story. Uh, but I ended up going back to Nigeria to bury my dad. Um, I showed up in Nigeria, uh, J-Mac. I forgot how poor I really was. Uh, it was so bad, I couldn't even use the bathroom in my own house. I had to go across the street to the park where I used to go sell water and soft drinks. And as I came out, that's when I saw those children with no shoes. Uh, and then I, then I learned that over 300 million kids wake up in Africa each day with no shoes on their feet. And for the research showed me through the World Health Organization that over a billion were infected with salt transmitted parasites and infection because many of them didn't have shoes. I said, man, somebody ought to do something about this. Uh, be careful when you see somebody, uh, because every time you point a finger, there's another one pointing right back at you. Uh, at that time, I didn't realize that somebody was going to be me. Uh, eventually, I came back to America, you know, like I uh, told my wife about what I saw. I said, what if we can start going back to Nigeria and all over the world and start providing shoes for kids, but not just give them shoes, but humble ourselves and wash their feet and look at those kids in the eye and ask them what their dreams are and remind them that there's a purpose for their existence. They've been created to dream big dreams. And I didn't know how that was going to come about. Uh, but fast forward a few years later, uh, it's so crazy. Uh, you know, I joined this company in Charlotte called Elogix. It was in the, uh, in the supply chain space. Uh, at that time, they brought me in to kind of run their product group and, and uh, run their sales and run their, their marketing team. And, um, you know, uh, this venture firm out of New York is just, you know, you know, dumped a bunch of money on us. And, and they looked at all of us who were all 30-year-olds. And they looked at us and said, man, you guys need some adult supervision. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're not about to let you guys have all these millions of dollars uh, with nobody else to provide some oversight. So they brought this, uh, I call them gray hair. Those days we used to joke around. These guys were the guys who provide us seasoned advice, they said. And uh, <laughs> so they brought this guy saying, and uh, I had this new guy who was my new president and this new boss of mine. I had to kind of report to. And uh, so we were looking at actually acquiring a company in Dallas, Texas. So we actually flew uh, down to Dallas to go do due diligence on this company that had this order management software uh, product suite that we were trying to evaluate to a to overall product portfolio. Uh, we showed up in Dallas uh, the night before our meeting, and this guy said, Hey, you know, what do you want to do? We got some time. I said, Well, let's go get some tickets. Maybe we can go watch. Uh, you know, Vince Carter played against the Dallas Mavericks. At that time, Vince Carter was playing for New Jersey. And uh, so I said, absolutely. So we went and got tickets. <laughs> and we showed up in, at, the, at, the, um, uh, at, at the place where they were playing. And uh, we got our tickets. We got in. We got some popcorn, some hot dogs, and all this stuff. We sat down. And J-Mac, this guy, turned, up, turned to me. And he said, Manny, if money wasn't an issue, how would you change the world? Uh I said, man, I've been set up. I don't like where this question is going. And I started sharing this vision that I have about these millions of kids around the world with no shoes. And I have this passion to go wash their feet and provide them shoes and inspire them to dream big dreams. And 20 something minutes, almost 30 minutes of this conversation, this guy stopped me. He said, why are you here? And when your boss asks you why you're here, you try to change the subject pretty quick. Yeah. And, and I'm trying to say, man, this, this game better start all of a sudden the buzzer heads and the game started. I said, thank God, I don't have to talk to this guy about this stuff anymore. I didn't realize this guy filed that conversation in his mind that day. Fast forward a few days later, actually a few weeks later, my wife went with this group of ladies to this conference in, uh, in Greensboro, North, uh, North Carolina. And she didn't know except one, there was about five of the ladies and her, six of them went to this conference. And, and I believe I actually shared this stuff with you before, John. And, and this, this ladies, 
As they were getting ready to check into the hotel, uh, this lady pulled my wife aside. She said, can I talk to you about something? She said, yes. She said, God has called you and your husband to a big vision. Will you guys keep putting God in the box? And my wife said, who's this woman? And she started telling my wife some things we never told the soul. She talked about seeing this convoy of trucks and, and all these kids being mobilized around the world and inspired hope with. And my wife is weeping, said, we never told anybody. I thought this woman, no. Mm. And all of a sudden she said, yeah, would you be okay if I do this? She said, what is that? And she grabbed a bottle of Gay Park water that was in the car. She started to wash my wife's feet. She said, God has called you to go wash people's feet all over the world. Now my wife has lost it. She's weeping and she's crying. She came back home. And she looked at me and said, I've done something wrong to God because my wife's going to kill me. You ever have that story when your wife look at you with that kind of eye? So, oh, <laughs> Not good. <laughs> you know, I looked at her. She said, what? I said, what's going on? She said, honey, we've been disobedient. I said, what's wrong? And she told me what she said. I said, oh, my God. And, and all I could think about is I've got to get my wife's mind off of this stuff ASAP. Because, man, I'm comfortable, man. I I know this the commitment to go do this is going to cost me something. And so I said, well, the best thing to do is I need to invite my wife to get away. So that way I can go to wine and dine her. So I said, I'm going to take her to Charleston, South Carolina. Because I know when she gets to Charleston, she forgets about everything. I'm going to do my thing, man, just trying to get all excited. And so I got her to Charleston a few days later. And I said, man, maybe this lady will forget all about it. We're just going to have a great romantic time. And right before we went to dinner, guess what happened? He said, honey, what is it going to take for you to leave your job? I said, woman, leave me alone, man. I thought we were going to come here. We're going to have a great romantic time. I said, babe, you know how much responsibilities I have in Africa. We just had a poor child. and we So I'm giving all these excuses. She said, honey, you don't get it. What is it going to take for you to leave your job to go do what God's called you to do? I said, woman, leave me alone. I said, you know what? Guess what, Tracy? We, we've saved some money. Uh, if I can save about another six months of income, you know, maybe at least I have enough income for the next two years. Man, I wish I said somewhat, something else that day. <laughs> Guess what happened? Monday, this was Saturday. Monday, I went back to the office, did my calls. All our sales guys, all our alliance partners, everybody from across the country. And then all of a sudden, I walked into my new boss's office. I said, hey, Jay, do you want to go grab a bite to eat? And he said, man, he come in. And he shut the door. Jay never shuts the door when he talks to me. And I said, I don't like this. Company. I just don't like this environment. And he said, Manny, I have to talk to you about something. I said, what is that? I said, I'm going to cut you the chase. He said, the president that the VC guys, you know, uh, installed as our new president wants your job. He's got his buddy that he wants to bring in to take over all the product and all the sales and all this stuff. And I know you can probably move into this services role and lead implementation, but I remember the conversation you and I had in Dallas. I said, what if I can help you start that, that mission? I said, what the heck are you talking about? He said, I can give you this amount of money. It was exactly the six months I told Tracy on Saturday. Wow. I said, oh, snap. I said, this was not what I was thinking. Now I'm mad, right? And, and he started saying, you know, Manny, I'm a Christian. I said, don't tell me you're a Christian, man, because if you're a Christian, you ain't going to take my job. You know? <laughs> <laughs> 
I call that day my Black Monday. I didn't realize that was going to be the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. I, I walked out of that office, stormed out of there, mad as, the, as could be. I didn't even go into my office, and I picked up the phone, and I called my bride. I said, babes, I think God answered this prayer a little too fast. She said, what do you mean? She said, I think I lost my job today. Now, she's like, what do you mean you think you lost your job? And she started hearing me kind of cry on the phone. He said, honey, come home. I know you're scared right now. But to him, God calls. He always equipped. And I went back home and I wept and I cried and I prayed with my wife. A few days later, we incorporated his organization uh, called Samaritan's Feed. But before I incorporated, so crazy, all of a sudden, uh, headhunters started calling me, saying, man, you know, like I, I heard you, you know, leaving your job, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was telling Tracy about all this stuff and Tracy looked at me stone cold. He said, honey, if you entertain any of those opportunities, you'll be completely disobedient to God. And it's crazy. Uh, thank God for Tracy, man. Uh, uh, we started Samaritan's Fit with a vision to go put shooting the feet of 10 million people all over the world. And as of yesterday, we've now served 9.2 million people in about one Wow, congratulations, buddy. That's uh, over 45 states, over 400, uh, 560 U.S. cities. It's amazing to think about what God has done. I received the Presidential Lifetime Achievement Award just a few weeks ago. I received the Pontifical Hero Award from the Vatican about a year ago to think about what could have happened if I stayed comfortable uh, in that in that technology role. So it's pretty amazing to see what God has done. Dude, so, I got chill bumps. Yeah. Johnny Mac, we're... I know you've been disobedient. You need to make a list, buddy, on what you've been disobedient over. I need to do a story. I should have been doing something else. But Manny, educate our audience a little. Like over 1.5, what I've read, 1.5 billion people in the world are infected with diseases that are transmitted through contaminated soil. So can you discuss a little bit about and educate the audience, like how that occurs, what types of diseases are transmitted? Well, you know, you, you go to a place like Ethiopia, uh, where they have over 5 million people that has this condition called podoconiosis, which is a non-filarial type of elephantiasis. Over 1 million of those people are actually children. Many of them live in agrarian culture where they're actually farming with no shoes. And the silica soil attacks their sole of their feet, mm. eat away at their nerves. And all of a sudden, their feet blows up to sometimes twice or four times their natural sizes. Mm. And, and the solution is shoes. We can eradicate that problem just by providing shoes. You go to a place like Uganda or Cameroon and some of these other parts of the world where you have a simple laceration, a cut on your feet, and this parasite borrows to the soil transport through your blood. It comes up, up your body. And all of a sudden, your body looks like you have leprosy. Millions of people around the world has this condition. Through some of the water that people transmit. I mean, you, you've got, I mean, places like, even like, you know, they just had a major natural disaster there in Fort Myers, right? You know, it's amazing to think about folks. The first thing they didn't think about is, and they've lost everything, right? I mean, sorry, John, I know you guys suffered some tremendous loss through that process, but, 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 but think about you walking through those contaminated water with yeah. no shoes mm. 
and you you have a, a nail that perforates your feet and, and this parasite's got saying, this is not just a condition that happens just in Africa or Haiti or different part of Asia. It can happen right here if you don't protect your feet. The blessing here is we have the resources. We can walk over to Walmart. We can walk over to Dick's Sporting. We can walk over to the Foot Lock and get a pair of shoes. But those people, they ain't got that. They don't have Rite Aid. They don't have Walgreens. They don't have CBS. You know, little infection like that can lead to a death sentence. You know, mm-hmm. so five years ago, we actually invented a world suit, the first of its kind in the world, uh, with an antimicrobial property that's built in the shoe that's also biodegradable. So when the shelf of the shoe is over, we don't have to be an environmental nuisance. We can bury that shoe, and that shoe will biodegrade within 15 to 20 years. But, but it's amazing that shoe's been manufactured here in the States right now, uh, where we can actually use this as a disease preventing mechanism, prophylactic to help prevent foodborne disease. And I'm here to tell you, actually, as of last month, uh, we just secured one of the first funding to establish our first manufacturing facility for that stuff in West Africa. So we can not only provide shoes for people in need, we can actually create jobs so people can work at this factory, manufacture the shoes, use that to go work with people in the indigenous communities and kids can go to school because without shoes, they can't go to school. Without shoes, they can't prevent their life from this disease. So it's pretty amazing what we're trying to do to help people. So Manny, you ought to educate the audience that this is how you used a lot of your supply chain expertise that you studied to develop your own world shoe. And maybe you walk people through like, what did you do before how did you shoe people before you developed your own world shoe? Absolutely. I mean, we had individual people that can actually support us. You know, for $25, you can provide a brand new pair of athletic shoes to a child that need anywhere in the United States. You know, so think about Title I school students. Many of them don't have shoes. You know, many of them have never had a brand new pair of shoes, you know, because grandparents are raising some of these kids. They've got to decide, do I buy my medication? Well, I buy shoes for my kids to compete in school or go to, go to, uh, or to compete in sports. So part of our mission is that we don't want any child to miss a day of school or to miss a day of play in the playground. So part of what we do, we, we partner with corporate entities like the Cokes of the world, like, you know, the Republics of the world, like Truist of the world, like Force Management of the world that uses their resources you know, to help sponsor shoes for Title I schools and entire student population. Many of them over 80 to 90, sometimes 100% of the kids are free and reduced lunch. That our teams come into those schools, you know, we work with them, our volunteers, which are staff members of some of these sponsors, come in and humble themselves to wash these kids' feet, ask those kids their name, ask them what these kids dream, get the chance to encourage and inspire these kids and also work with some of the top athletes in the world, some of them in the United States, some of them around the world to be a part of, of looking at these kids. Now, these guys that, that they put on pedestals from, from CEOs to presidents of companies to presidents of countries, humble themselves to wash these people's feet. He said, let the greatest amongst you first be a servant. That's the power of what Samaritan's is all about. Yeah. Now, Manny, I've read that... Um, Many people probably are thinking that you are shooing only poverty-stricken young people, but the reality is that what I've read is every second of every day, an elderly person falls many times because of no footwear or poor footwear or changes in foot structure or function or biomechanics, and that you're now starting to shoe like 1.5 billion people that 
that are elderly also, right? Could you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. We, we shoot children. Uh, we shoot veterans. Uh, we shoot seniors. I mean, people don't realize, you know, like, um, you know, over the next over the next 10 to 15 years, a large population of these baby boomers become senior citizens. Right. You know, like, uh, you know, you've got all these guys, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I'm walking into that group right now. Pretty soon. I've got to make sure I can have the right balance. You know, 55 and over right now, considered within that group. I remember getting my, you know, my. Uh, my ARP card the other day, man. I said, oh, <laughs> you know, but, but it's pretty amazing. Uh, we created this fall resistance kind of shoe that allows seniors uh, to not fall. And we've created a whole new wellness kind of idea around that. We teamed up with Sanford Health to actually come up with that unique model to help us work with our shoe manufacturer to design this shoe. So senior citizens can actually have podiatrists come help examine their feet and put on the shoes on them, the right type of socks and the right type of shoe. Many of them don't even know their sizes. So we work with some of our partners to make sure they have the right type of size they wear so they don't fall. And when they don't fall, because when they fall is one of the leading causes of you know, injury and sometimes leads to death. So if we can prevent them from falling, then we can keep them alive and keep them well. So, so we've been doing that. We work with homeless people all across the United States and all across the world. And uh, and we have this, you know, disease fighting shoe. Our world should also help prevent disease uh, so we can actually extend people's life so they can go live out their purpose and live out their dreams. What do you need to go faster, Manny? I know you, you know, go I as tell fast you, as you, you can, but I mean, there's so many people that, you know, need your support and help. So how for the audience, how can they help you go faster? Absolutely. That's a great point. I mean, you know, we need time, people's time. It's, I mean, you know, we, we've got this amazing headquarters here in Charlotte. If you're in Charlotte, you can come visit this amazing facility amazing. that we actually just uh, moved into about a little over a year ago. Uh, it sits on this 16 <laughs> acres of amazing transformational experience. It's actually called, you know, like SFIMX, where you can actually step into the reality of people with no shoes. Uh, uh-huh. Our future name for that's going to be called our shoe imagination. Uh, we're hoping to raise about $5 million so we can actually take it to a whole different level. Uh, so where you can actually walk into India, you can walk into Africa, you can walk into an inner city, maybe an Indian reservation. Our people live with no shoes, you know, to be able to smell it, feel it, sense it, uh, step into the reality of Proce's world. This lady that's from Uganda that has five kids and, and set up four shoes for our kids to go to school and how Samaritan's been stepped into that world and was able to be able to provide her kids school. But through that process, we're able to actually bring people together to invest and educate those kids and, and now even help them rebuild their home and, and give them a new job opportunity. All began from the gift of a pair of shoes. We need people to travel with us overseas to go serve people in need. We need companies to be able to sponsor you know, senior shoes, world shoe, our shoes of hope domestically, our shoe lockers. You can actually help adopt a school and establish a locker at a school where kids, where and by, we may not be there at that time, but the teachers, the principals, the guidance counselor, the resource officers, they can see a boy that comes in that's being bullied wearing girls' shoes, wearing shoes that are too small, and they can go into our shoe locker, they bring our hope toad out with our brand new pair of shoes, brand new pair of socks, bearing a pair, you know, like a hope note and a hygiene kit and put them aside discreetly and, and don't embarrass the kid and, and provide that shoe on behalf of Samaritan's feet and on behalf of the sponsor. You know, for $5,000, you can put a shoe locker 
on a on a school and a doctor school. It could be a course management shoe locker. And you know, for you know, for a school with 500 students for $25 a pair, you can impact the entire school and come in there and serve those kids. You can in, impact an entire homeless shelter. You can impact an entire village, which you call account to zero. So, so I mean, you can sponsor a whole gathering at your company in your neighborhood, in your community to help us raise awareness and raise funds. You know, you can help us, you know, even sponsor the creation we're looking to put, you know, a micro-manufacturing facility right now in, in Rwanda. We're looking to put one in South Africa. We're looking to put one maybe in Argentina or Guatemala, maybe one in India. $5 million to help us do that. So, so different people can play as little as providing a pair of shoes to helping us provide an economic <clears throat> development opportunity to be able to manufacture shoes so kills life can be transformed and changed. Wow. So Amazing. Manny, you know, when you uh, set huge goals, like originally you said, I'm going to shoot 10 million kids. People are like, yeah, uh-huh, sure you are. You know, because there's always the naysayers and there's always the, along the way, there's the unexpected opposition, unexpected hurdles. So can you just talk to our audience a little bit about what you faced, but also for anybody that wants to set huge goals? You know, what type of opposition and hurdles they, they're going to face? You know, one of the things that I've come to learn is most people are not willing to pay what it'll cost to go after their dream in order to achieve that level of success. I've seen that a lot of time. But one thing you got to realize, it's, it's, it's going to hurt a little bit. Uh, it's it's, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. And, it, and whenever you set an audacious goal, uh, you know it's going to cost you something. But if you're willing to persevere, willing to put in the work, willing to make sure your vision is big enough and leave room for others to join you, I promise you the impossible can become possible. Uh, you know, just stick with it. Don't give up on that dream. Work hard, but 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 set amazing targets, set amazing goals, but, but make sure you also not just set goals, but have, you know, amazing tactics and strategies that are in place to help you get towards that goal. I remember when I first told my buddy, Musin Mohammed, uh, former wide receiver for for the Carolina Panthers, that I want to serve 10 million. He said, man, this sounds ridiculous. You know what 10 million is? And I still remember Muggsy Bogues saying, man, you know, I know, you know, like, uh, I, I know one thing, you know, like it sounds impossible right now because he understands what impossible is. You know, he was one of those shortest guys ever played in the NBA. Everybody wrote him out and count him out. He said, I bet one day you're going to call me and say, Manny, I'm there. And this coming October, October of 2023, we're going to go back to Mitos Plains, South Africa, where we served our first person in 2003 and serve our 10 million receipts. Wow. You know, it, it, it seems so impossible, but 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 it will be, it only sounds impossible until it's done. And then I think in terms of like, and many naysayers are going to come along with the path and say, Manny, I don't, even, I don't think you can do that. See, see, we have to figure out a very unconventional way to get to where we are, right? I, I remember, I think I told Captain this story. I remember going to New York when I connected with Thomas Kincaid years ago because we had this audacious goal. We're going to serve 10 million people, right? And, and I didn't know how in the heck I would get to 10 million. After the first two and a half, three years, we only served almost 300,000. said, oh, man, 10 million seems impossible, man. How are we going to get there? And then somehow this... This artist called Thomas Kincaid found us. And he said, I, I want, I've got this deal with, with NBC and they want me to come paint the Rockefeller tree lighting. 
but I need the chair to be connected to this cause, right? And uh, uh, so, so they found us, our marketing team, this marketing team teamed up. So we went to New York City. It was going to be our big national launch, right? We showed up in New York and, and Thomas Kincaid started painting. And in the middle of all this painting, all of a sudden, we got a call from NBC. We said, we sorry, we can have you guys on. I said, oh, no, this is our big national launch and all that's going on. So we started to pick up the phone, started calling. All of a sudden, somebody from Fox News called us back and said, if you guys can get here in the next few minutes, we can get Thomas Kincaid on to talk about his stuff and talk about you. I said, yes, let's go. Out of the Chevy Tahoe, bam, we all the easels got up. <laughs> we were riding down New York City. We got over to like a- See ya, NBC. <laughs> <laughs> We got a little Fox, Fox Network, and guess what happened? They got Thomas Kincaid on. Thomas started talking. He talked and talked and talked so much. He forgot. I remember that. this. I'm like, what just happened? I'm like, I can't he believe He forgot it. to mention you guys, right? I, he forgot about us, man. So huh. he came back off the stage and said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. He got caught up in the moment. And I'm like... I called Todd, my director of marketing, and said, book me a fly. I'm going back to Charlotte. He said, what do you mean? I said, no, no, I'm, I'm leaving New York. He said, man, you can't leave New York. He said, what do you mean? He said, you got, a, you got an event. You got to be out tomorrow. I said, no, I'm not going. He said, I got to go back home. I mean, all this stuff we worked so hard to, to, to make this our national just got flushed down the toilet. He said, man, you're a man of your word. You gave somebody your word. You're going to be there tomorrow. And you're going to be there. Man, that guy... Help me at my word. That's one of the first lessons I learned about integrity and ethics. When you give your word, you stick and live by your words. That's one of the key virtues that believe leaders often lead their life by. But I was so glad that guy helped me accountable that day because the next day I was invited to this function by the Gabaran Foundation from Spain. They were given a Lifetime Achievement Award to a lady called Dr. Maya Angel. And I still don't know how in the world I got invited to that function. I walked in this room and somebody wheeled Dr. Angel and she looked at me. She pointed to me, she motioned for me to come over. And I went over, she said, you must be from Nigeria. I said, you must be a psych. How do you know I'm from Nigeria? <laughs> and she said, I used to teach, you know, I take, she taught at Creek Forest and she goes to library every year. She said, uh, you know, like every time I fly to library, I always fly to night Lagos. And you guys have this signature smile, Nigerian people, and I can pick it out from the crowd. He said, what do you do, son? I said, I'm a professional foot washer. I wash children's feet all over the world and inspire them to dream big dreams. She said, you remind me of somebody. I said, who's that? She said, you remind me of Martin. I said, who is Martin? I then realized she was talking about D. Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. She said, you know why I like Martin? I said, no, ma'am. She said, he had courage. He said, Manny, whatever it is that you do, go be the face and the voice for those kids, just like Martin was the face of the voice for people that were being treated injustly in the world. And then it was like God sent Dr. Angela to me that day to pump up my deflated balloon. I remember I left, I took a picture with her. That day started a relationship. I became one of our top 100 friends. And uh, I went back to my hotel at the New Yorker, New York City. And I still remember, uh, just like it was yesterday, I called my director of marketing and said, what is it going to take for us to be the face and the voice for those millions of kids around the world with no shoes? And that's when the idea came. He said, what, what if we can get a Division One basketball coach to help us coach a basketball game on national TV with no shoes. At that time, we didn't realize it was going to be a game-changing moment for Samaritan's Bean. Uh, we started saying, who's going to do it? Let's call Mike Krzyzewski. Well, let's call Roy Williams. He said, no, 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 none of these people's going to do it. And he said, there was a guy in Indianapolis. He's the head basketball coach, Paul Ron Hunter, at IUPUI. 
I said, come on now, IUPUI, what kind of coach can coach an IUPUI? I've never heard about a school called you were Peewee, man. Come on, man. <laughs> and she said, trust me, I met this guy through Coach Dungy. And this guy is a is actually a coach, right? It's, it's actually, we call him a life coach disguised as a basketball coach. He used yeah. basketball as a platform to transform people's life. And he said, let's call him. And we picked up the phone. We called this coach. I learned one of my first lessons that day. Don't call a coach at 1030 at night, you know, like because they're thinking one or two things. One of my players being killed or one of my players in prison. And uh, so he didn't want to pick up the phone. He finally picked it up and said, who's this? So this is Manny and Todd. So what do you want? I said, coach, I just finished meeting a very, uh, we just left a very important meeting. I want you to help us coach a game on national TV with no shoes. And the phone went dead silent. They said, where are you guys? I said, we're in New York. I said, are you drunk? And I said, no, we're not drunk. He said, what do you want me to do? He said, we want you to help us coach a game on national TV with no shoes. He said, man, you guys must be crazy. He said, I want to meet this guy. So we actually, he said, will you come, come see me in Indianapolis? Ten days later, we flew down to Indianapolis, and Jay Mack, right behind me, right behind him, was the biggest poster of Dr. King I've ever seen. And I said, you know who that man is? I said, I bought the picture. I knew exactly what it is. Cut to the chest. What do you want me to do? I said, next year is the 40th anniversary of his death. Would you help me not just coach a game on national TV with no shoes, but help me raise 40,000 shoes? He said, man, you got some balls. He said, <laughs> he said, I thought I'll invite you here. I like you. You know, I'll help you raise 500, maybe 2,000 shoes. But 40,000? I said, coach, with all due respect. I said, with 2,000, you don't need a guy. But for 40,000, you're going to need a guy that's bigger than you. And he said, man, this guy is nuts, man. He said, you want me to do what? I said, I want to put in the coach again with no shoes. We set a date. By January 24th of 2008, we raised 110,000 pairs of shoes. Wow. Uh, ABC News made him person of the week. By the end of that year, they made him person of the year. Raised over 200,000 shoes. NCAA invited me to come to the Final Four in San Antonio to come present him in Present them in an award. Guess who was the host of the award? Ernie Johnson. Ernie Johnson looked at me and said, Man, I can't believe what was happening when I was watching this stuff on TV. That Ernie. Now you're talking Ray about Ernie Thomas. Johnson from TNT, the basketball crew from TNT, yeah. right? You know, yeah. inside the NBA guy, right? Inside he said, NBA. What can I do? I said, Man, you're Ernie Johnson. You can do whatever you want. He said, he said I'm going to call the president of TNT, see what they can do. He called me seven days later. He, you could have thought he just won a lottery. He said, the president of Turner wants me to have you on a Mother's Day, 2009. He said, we've got something special planned for you. I thought I'd be there for about you know, 20, 40, 50 seconds. He was post-game, almost nine minutes of primetime TV. What I forgot to tell you that day, uh, what happened in New York, that was so mad that Thomas Kincaid forgot us. When Coach Hunter, coach with no shoes on national TV, 430 media outlet ran that story around the world. I was complaining about one network that I was forgot to be mentioned that God has something much bigger in store for us. Well, Ernie Johnson put me on that show that day. After I finished sharing my story, this guy walked up to me and said, Manny, are you for real? I said, yes, I am. He said, Manny, I think I can get you a million shoes. I said, don't tease me. It's crazy. He called me two weeks later. He said Sears was doing a deal with a couple of NBA players that's launching this new Predator shoe line. And they've been looking for a charity. Sometimes you just got to show up and be available. 
And that day, they donated 1.3 million pairs of shoes valued over $34 million. You remember that convoy of truck that woman told Tracy when mm -hmm. she was down in Greensboro? Yeah. That was 400 and almost 40 truckloads of shoes, convoy of shoes. My logistics background that I thought was going to be used for food was put into motion. We went from warehouse to six warehouses from across the country. Automatically, I mean, after that, I walked barefoot from Charlotte to Atlanta. Crocs gave us a million pairs of shoes. Sketches gave us two million pairs of shoes. Before I knew it, things just started happening that I couldn't even put my mind or heart to. But you can read more about that by checking out my book, Soul Purpose. You can read all about that stuff later on. You know, but it's pretty crazy, this story, but so much that God has done. I just can't wait to see how you guys can go live by your purpose. Hey, Manny, on that note, and Johnny, I want to share with you a personal story that happened to me with Manny. So as you can imagine, Manny is such a powerful speaker from passion and the, the words that he speaks uh, from his heart enter the heart of all who hear. And I remember a very specific day, Manny, I don't know if you remember this, but I was so motivated and it was in the early days of force management. And I said, Manny, I, uh, I think, I think I'm going to just, I think I'm going to give everything up like you did. I think I'm just going to give it up and I'm, I'm going to go find a way uh, to go have impact. And do you remember what you told me about the fishermen? Yeah, I said, I said, we need some nets, brother. <laughs> so Johnny, Johnny, and for our listeners, what happens, it, uh, hopefully I'm, I'm speaking from a point of spirit, not from a point of lecture. When you hear stories like this, you can't help but read your own autobiography into it and you begin to assess your own situation in life. And, and, and Manny gave me such a gift that day. He said, John, he said, I have plenty of fishermen. I need nets. <laughs> I need nets. And he said, what you do through your efforts, you know, your personal efforts and what force management helps us do is it helps us provide nets. I need nets. Mm -hmm. And Johnny Mac, from that day on, I'll never forget it. The My why and Grant Wilson, the co-founder of force management, our why was so solidified. It's like, why are we doing what we're doing? <laughs> why are we staying in this hotel in San Francisco and missing a flight and doing it? because we were making nets. Mm -hmm. And so the why became very, very solidified. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're a little bit overwhelmed and you're doing some self-assessment and maybe even some self-loathing like I was trying to figure out how to have impact, you know, the world needs net providers. And there's a lot of people on that listening to this show that are in an unbelievable position to have impact by making nets to supply to the fishermen. And so I just wanted to give a little spirit. I, that was a gift that you gave me and I've, I've never, ever forgotten that. Oh, thanks. Thank you, Jake. Um, I appreciate that, John Kaplan, man, you're, you're a blessing and, and you guys haven't stopped. I mean, you, you live uh, your life in such a way uh, that's much bigger than yourself. Uh, you know, you doing what you do, not just to be able to, Hamas profits, uh, but profit for something that brings about change in our world. Uh, because when you get the chance to use those gift and talent that you and, and people like, uh, you know, J-Mac, you know, do to give, because you don't just give just to give, you give for 
higher purpose. You give to allow kids to be able to redeem time and, and, and also connect back to their purpose because people like cause goes awaken the hope and the dream in people's heart because sometimes the situation gets so dear, they forget to dream. Until somebody comes, I was in South Africa last week and sat in front of these young kids living in farms where their fathers are producing grapes to produce wine. And, and many of them are so poor, their shoes are so tattered. And I was talking to one of them and said, man, I want to be a doctor, but I just don't see how that's going to happen. I didn't even have the proper uniform or shoes to go to school. I said, if uniforms or shoes is the impediment to get you to become a doctor, let's take that option out of the way. Consider that done. And if scholarship is one of these people, I'll find a friend that'll pay for your school. But keep that dream in front of you. Don't forget to keep dreaming because the situation gets so bad sometimes they stop and forget to do my job when I get the chance to hold their feet and start washing their feet and put those shoes on their feet. And I asked him there, Jim, I said, man, there's a God of the universe that loves you, that has a plan for your life. And he's created you for a person that's much bigger than what you see today. It doesn't matter how you begin. It's how you finish that truly matters. And those kids' eyes are starting getting so big. It's, yes, he back and doing your heart. You were this kid that used to be a shoeless kid in West Africa, that you're now walking the Pope's home in Rome. You're now getting a presidential award. You're now manufacturing shoes. If you, that can happen to you, that can also happen to me. I tell people what we're doing is bigger than just providing shoes. It's activating hope in the hearts of kids. That's to remind them to have only positive expectations in spite of what they're going through. Johnny Mac, I'm ready to go rip the heads off chickens. I don't I even know, know where to. I don't up. even know where to take this interview from now. Where do you want to go, buddy? Well, my Holy mind smoke. was just spinning, thinking, okay, what do I? I mean, I got to do something else now, man. He's like, he's not only a man of purpose; he's just the epitome of passion. You know, it's so. He's just an incredible human being, man. He, like I said in the beginning, the world would be a much better place if there are a lot more manies running oh, around. Thank you. That's for thank sure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Maybe so we much just. Do a little rapid fire. Have a little fun with Manny. Let's do it. Let's do it. Manny, what's your ideal day off of work? Man, I just want to hang out with my family, play some cards, man. Maybe some putt-putt if necessary. What kind of cards you play? Man, I play I, I, I play you know, different kinds of games. There's one that I actually just did when I was in South Africa. He said, like, um, you know, they call it, it's actually a crazy name, you know, uh, you know, a, a savior aces, they call it. They didn't want to use a bad word. So it's like, <laughs> save, your, yeah. save your ass. It's like, save yeah, your exactly. Ass. <laughs> How about your favorite meal? Was that my favorite meal? I think it's African food, man. I, you know, every so often I'm, 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 I'm a binge on Thai food, but give me some, some pounded yam, some nice, you know, like African stew, man, you got me some fresh seafood. I, I'm all in. And then you have a favorite movie, Manny. Oh man, you know, like uh, I got a ton of them, but but the Black Panther, man, is like it's like taking me to a whole different place. You know, I think mm. we got to go create a whole new Wakanda <laughs> out in the world. <laughs> now I want to ask you this because I I read something about this. You have many quotes, but can you tell me like one of your favorite quotes? You know, I, I tell people all the time that success is no solo venture. But my greatest quote has always been uh, that service to others emancipates humanity from the dungeon of themselves. Uh, because if you understand the power of service, uh, you understand the essence of true joy. 
Uh, my dear friend, uh, most people don't understand him, but his name is John Calipari, he's the head basketball coach of Kentucky. Um, huge supporter of mine, dear friend of mine. Uh, he always looked at his players in the eye and said, you know the reason why I love Manny? Uh, because he's going to teach you the essence of the power that it means to be a servant. Because if you want to truly understand the true essence of joy, learn to be a servant. That's really powerful, Manny. How about your favorite place to visit in the world? Cape Town, South Africa, man. Yeah. Just came back from there, man. I truly believe God used all his extra parts of that country, man, from the mountain to the ocean. I mean, uh, he, so he did it all. He did it so all. So beautiful. I love that yeah. place. I told you I rode my bike twice across South Africa. It's an amazing place. Yeah, I love hey, uh, Johnny, I think we ought to talk a little bit about how people can help support Samaritan's Feet. Yeah, Manny, if you wouldn't mind just... Um, you know, I know there's a number of different ways, like there's a ton of needs. You you kind of listed them before, but would you be very specific for the listeners right now? How can they help you? You know, um, you know, one, you can give uh, financially $25, put a pair of shoes and charge anywhere in the world. Uh, you can sponsor a school. You can sponsor a community. Uh, you can sponsor a senior. You can sponsor a village. Uh, you can sponsor, you know, like, uh, you know, a senior center. Uh, you can do all that. But you can also engage your corporation. Uh, you know, uh, you're, you're an executive of the bank. You have FDIC requirements that ensures that you have to provide financial literacy. That's what we do. We can connect you to this recipient. So you, after we provide them shoes, you can provide the financial literacy. I just came back from Ghana three and a half weeks ago where we actually were providing HPV vaccines as an, using our World Trust as an incentive. Maybe you're a healthcare provider. You can team up with us to do that. And, you know, you are, you, you, you are a pastor. You are a business owner. You are a business leader. You can live gifts. You can, you can actually help us, you know, fund a manufacturing facility somewhere in the world. Uh, you can get your team engaged. The greatest gift you can give them is just to create an opportunity for you to be able to get them to serve. Imagine you, the CEO and, and the chief CRO or whatever it is, washing somebody's feet as part of a team building effort to be able to create this unique moment and this opportunity. You can serve, you can go, and you can give. But follow us at SamaritansFeet.org. Do that today. You can do a sponsor fundraiser for us at your home, at your company, at your place of business. Uh, you can do, I mean, different things from finish line doing, you know, corner sales campaign. You know, you can, you may know a shoe executive that want to provide millions of shoes. The different ways you can connect us with people. You can network with people for us. You can, I mean, just so much where you can help us. But connect with us on LinkedIn, connect with us on Facebook, connect with us on Instagram, connect with us on any of the social platforms. But more importantly, you can share our website, SamaritansFee.org, with people all across the world. One of the things I think you've just done so well with your education and your business background, uh, you've made it really, really easy. It, from my opinion, uh, I'm biased, but from my opinion, it is so easy to figure out how to participate with you. And there are so many different avenues to participate. It's like, it's like you were thinking about the donor as a customer and you just made it really really easy so all those things that you've listed they're very very clear on your website of how you can get involved and what you can do so samaritansfeet.org um we'll make sure that we put it in our show notes we'll make sure that we put the book soul purpose 
Um, I'm going to let Johnny Mac say uh, goodbye to you at the end here. But Manny, you are not only a dear friend, you're a massive inspiration to me and my family. We've participated in your events. You're the epitome of perseverance, resilience. And my friend, you are the epitome of obedience. And uh, I, I have a ton of respect and love for you. And thanks for spending time with us today, brother. Man, thanks, Cappy. I appreciate you. I, I love you. And, and I know people watching this, many of you guys run uh, different types of conferences. If you're looking for a keynote speaker, um, you know, let me know. I'll come share a couple of words. I was just going to say that no anyone doubt. listening that wants to hear an amazing selfless leader that's the epitome of passion and understands how to drive purpose for huge teams for a gigantic mission it would be crazy not to have Manny as a speaker. Manny, you're so inspiring, man. Thank you, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thank, thank, thank you so much, uh, Jay Mack. You're a gift. Uh, may God strengthen you and bless you guys for all you guys do. But above all, man, remember to keep letting your light shine. And thank you again for listening to another episode of Revenue Builders. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.